Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. I want to begin a little different way this morning. I want to begin by showing you a painting this morning. Look at this painting that's before you. This painting, you probably look at that and you'd say that there's nothing special about it. Well, the title of that painting is Afghans by a Russian artist. And this painting that you see behind us, it used to adorn an elementary school in an auditorium. So here this painting was for decades adorning this wall. It's seven feet by ten feet. So it's a pretty big painting. And it was in the auditorium of this elementary school. Hundreds, if not thousands, of elementary school students passed by it over the decades. Many hundreds of faculty passed by it without giving it any kind of second thought. And then one day, there was a man who saw the painting, and he noticed that it was a little peculiar, so he began to inquire about it. Well, the man discovered that this was more than a large painting. The man discovered that what they had in that elementary school was a masterpiece that was worth close to $1 million. A masterpiece that belonged in a museum adorning the wall of an elementary school auditorium. A masterpiece hanging in plain sight, a treasure in plain sight. Now, what I want you to do today is I want you to take your Bible. This morning, hopefully you brought it. If not, there's one in the pew there for you. If not, someone, hopefully a neighbor has one. Maybe you have it on your phone. Whatever the case may be, take your Bible. And I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. And I'm sure that you're accustomed to your own Bible this morning. The smell of the leather or whatever it is your Bible's made of. My mother's here today. She's had the same Bible. Well, she doesn't have that Bible today, but that's okay. She's had the same Bible for a long time. She switched Bibles because I convinced her to do it. But my mother's had the same Bible for a long time. Matter of fact, I can open up my mother's Bible and I can look and I can see a sticker that I put on my mother's Bible. I still remember the time me putting that sticker there. And so I'm sure that you're accustomed to your Bible Maybe the smell of the leather, the noise of the pages that they make as you run across their fingers. Maybe you remember where you were when you wrote that particular note. You remember that highlight that was there, whatever the case may be. The Bible is the most distributed book in the world. If we're not careful, it's easy to miss the incredible, indescribable value of something that we see as so common. But today what I want you to do is we have our time together, this short time together. What I want us to do is I want us to get a little closer to this treasure that is before us in plain sight. I want us this morning to not miss what is right in front of us. Holy Scripture. God's ordained, inspired, inerrant Word. And we face a severe problem across the landscape of the world. It's not just out yonder somewhere. It's also a problem in this church. It's a problem in most churches. The problem is not information. You see, we have enough information. We have enough read-through-your-Bible-in-a-year plans. We've got enough of those things, and I'm not against those things. We even have enough preachers filling the air with noise. But listen carefully. We don't have enough clear Christian preaching. 
So what I want to do today, and I've made this the dedication of my life, and this is one of the reasons why I went to school, so that I could be chiseled and hammered into men who know more about the Bible than I do. We're going to do our best today to remedy this problem by proclaiming a Christ. But it's not just any Christ. It's a Christ according to the Scriptures. And let's think about that for just a minute. There are multiple Christs that are believed upon. There are multiple Christs that are even taught today. You have the prosperity Christ. There is the political Christ. There is the moralistic Christ. But probably the most prominent out of all of them is the heretical Christ. This Christ, this is the Jesus who was born of a virgin, who was raised from the dead. But this Jesus that people preach is not the eternal Son of God, one with the Father. So you have the prosperity Christ, the political Christ, the moralistic Christ, the heretical Christ. But listen carefully to me. There is only one Christ who saves. And the one Christ who saves, even though there are a multitude of of different pictures of Christ, the one Christ who saves is the Christ according to the Scriptures who justifies us by His grace, who brings our wandering hearts into eternal fellowship with Himself. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that many of you, perhaps, you've been looking at Jesus from a distance. You've been trying to discern who He is instead of seeing who He is in all of His glory. Summertime is coming, of course. What does that mean in Georgia? It means, well, we're geared up to be a hot one, right? It's going to be a hot one. And here's the choice that we have during the summer. You can either stand staring at the nice crystal clear blue water in some pool that's in front of you. You can either stand staring at the nice cool water or you can jump in and be refreshed and you can feel the heat of the day on your tired, sweaty flesh melt away. So you have a choice today. You can either stand far from Christ or you can enjoy the fullness that is Christ. And so let's today, let's draw near to God and let's have Him draw near to us. I don't want you today, listen, Today, tomorrow, or any day, I don't want you to miss Christ. So what I want to do for all of my life, and including today, is I want to proclaim Him to you. The way that I do that, the only way that there is to do that, is through His Holy Word. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21. Now listen carefully, we're going to go all the way through verse 48. But listen carefully. Here's what we're going to do. I'm only going to read the first lines of each paragraph until we get to the end of chapter 5. And So do your best this morning to follow along. So begin in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Skip to verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Skip down to 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, look at verse 32. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. Skip down to verse 33. Again, 
You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, verse 38, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, verse 43, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We are grateful that you've called us to this purpose. Help us today in the power of the Holy Spirit to hear clearly the Word of God so that the Son may receive all glory and honor so that the Father may be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now these verses that we have right here in the Sermon on the Mount, These verses are not peculiar verses. These verses, and we're going to come back next week and then the week after that to look at every one of these sections. But what I want to do today is I want to, in a way of highlighting where we're going, show you what the intention of these verses are. You know what these verses are? These verses show us the ministry of Jesus. Now, Jesus has come for a particular reason. Jesus has come for a peculiar purpose or a particular purpose. He has come, as Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13 tells us, He has come to fulfill all righteousness. This is the ministry of Jesus, to fulfill all righteousness. Now, the question that we have to ask is, how on earth does He do that? Is there something from this text, as Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, you've heard that it was said, But I say to you, is there something there that we can learn how it is that our Lord is fulfilling all righteousness? Can we learn anything about the ministry of Jesus? And I have three things to tell you today. Number one, and I hope you're taking notes. Number one, Christ is the fulfillment of the law. You say, preacher, that sounds like what you said last week. You're probably right. I I really just say the same thing in a different way all the time. Christ is is the fulfillment of the law. Look at verse 21 again. Look at this. This is fantastic. And you see this repeated. This is why whenever you're studying the Bible, remember this. If you're studying the Bible by yourself, always pay attention to things that are repeated. If Jesus repeats Himself, He's worth listening to. If the God of the universe says things more than once, He's hoping that we get it. So we got to get what it is that he's saying. Look at verse 21 again. Christ says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Now you and I know the danger of hearing something said about someone instead of hearing the one who said it. You know the danger there, right? I think that there would be so much progress in our world. So much progress in our church, so much progress in the way that you relate with one another and that I relate with you and we relate together. So much progress would be done if we would just stop for just a minute and read the rest of the story. To go and have that spirit of the Bereans and Acts and go and inquire as to whether or not these things are true. I remember my sister-in-law, she's here today, her and I, when I was in high school, having conversations about Scripture. And one of the things that I learned from her was here, I, w- I would show her this passage in Scripture and she would take my Bible from me and she would say, here, let me say that for myself. We need to be diligent students of the Word so that what we can do is we can not just hear what someone says about something, but we can read it ourselves. 
But one of the major problems is that we don't read, but beyond reading, we don't listen. So many of us for so long have sat under teaching, have read the Bible, and it's just like water flowing over a rock. It makes no difference. We hear it. But what good is it simply to hear it? We don't listen. Listen to me carefully. You can read and not hear. You can read and not understand. And out of all the things in the world that are calling for your attention, out of all the messages that you get inundated with through Facebook, through social media, through driving down the interstate, through watching TV, whatever the case may be, of all the things, we better make sure that we get this right. Of everything that there is, of all the messages, we better make sure that we get this right. There's a story in the Bible. It's in Nehemiah. It's in that twofold book, Ezra and Nehemiah, when Ezra reads the law to the people. You have to know the background here the people are. They've been dispersed. They've been taken away. They finally are allowed to come back into the land. God's fulfilling His promise after 70 weeks, according to the book of Daniel and Jeremiah. The 70 weeks are over, and here they are coming back into the land. And so the people gather. Ezra's the priest. He reads the law to the people. And Nehemiah 8, if you were to go back there and look, you can write that down in your margin. Nehemiah 8 tells us that when all the people were gathered, Ezra, he stood on a wooden platform and he read the law to the people. But listen, there were some who said amen before they knew what they were saying. Some listened and they said amen because they just liked what was being read. They didn't understand it. They just thought that it sounded good, so they said amen. So what happened then? Some of the men came waiting. He said, whoa, you don't understand what you're saying. So the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 8, some of the men help the people understand what it was that was being read. And then all of a sudden, so you have all these people in Nehemiah 8, they, they start weeping, they start doing all of these things, and then all of a sudden people come in and tell them what it is that they're reading, and then when people are told what the law says, they go from weeping to being told in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, weep not for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the difference that we have to learn today is the difference between feasting and weeping. The difference between joyfully enjoying Christ and begrudgingly keeping the law is a right interpretation of the law. Jesus has come and He has said, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you. You know what that tells us? Christ is the right interpretation of the law. Christ is the key. To all of the Scriptures. And when we say that Christ is the fulfillment, what are we saying? We are not referring to someone who stands at a distance that we just look upon. We're not referring to that. When we say Christ, we are referring to the God of the ages who has come near to us to give us ears to hear. When we say Christ, we are referring to the One who opens our eyes to behold wonderful things from His laws. He's the One who takes us personally by the hand and leads us into the way of all truth. This is who He is. He's not some God who stood at a distance who said, do this. He is the God who personally became flesh, seeking and saving lost ones so that you, you, would have someone to believe in, someone to love, and a cause to serve. So Christ, He comes to us and He says, you've heard that it was said, but I say. Notice the contrast here in all of these verses. You've heard that it was said, But I say, that word but there, that's the contrast word. We're contrasting two things. So the question that we have to ask is, who's the contrast between? Is it between Christ and Moses? 
Or is it between Christ and the Pharisees who are the interpreters of Moses? You have to remember this. Back during this day, Jesus didn't say, you've read, because people didn't read then. All they had to go upon was what was said to them. So Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was said, because they didn't read, they couldn't read. Not in a large level anyway. The contrast, is it between Moses or is the contrast between the Pharisees? And you say, can we even know? How can we know? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes, we can know. Because what did Christ say in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17? What did He say? He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I've not come to abolish them. I have come to fulfill them. So Christ is not saying here, He's not saying don't listen to Moses. It's alright, vacation Bible school and children's workers, we're going to teach Moses to the kids. It's alright. We're not saying don't teach Moses. Christ is not saying don't listen to Moses because Jesus is going to say to the Pharisees a little later in John, if you believe Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote of me. Now that is a fantastic statement in and of itself. So in other words, when you're reading Exodus, you're reading Leviticus, you're supposed to see Christ. Because Christ says, Moses, when he's writing what he's writing, he has me in mind. Did you realize how fantastic that is? When we read the Bible, we're not supposed to look for any other message other than the message of Christ. So Christ is saying that his message, and never forget this, his message is who he is. He is the message. Don't separate those two things. Christ is the message. And Christ, his message, is the same message that of Moses Christ, remember this, He was there when the law was given to Moses. And before there was a Moses, there was a Christ. So most, most, and this is important, because most, if not all, wrong teaching about Jesus comes from this question. What do we do with the Old Testament? Every, and I can almost say that every teaching that's wrong about Christ is wrong about the Old Testament. What's Christ saying? When Christ is telling us that when we read the Old Testament, we need to see Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, not the abolisher of the Old Testament. Why is that? Because the Old Testament testifies as well as looks forward to Christ. And so in His own authority, which don't miss that, it's because of who He is, right? He is the authority. He can do whatever He wants. Because of who He is, He can say you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And if anyone else were to say that, that would be audacious. To put himself over the law. You have heard that it was said. Really, he's putting himself under the law, but that's a dumb story. He says, you have heard that it was said, but I say. And if anyone else were to say that, it would be audacious. But not just anybody said it. The one who gave the law to Moses says it. So the law, the Old Testament, has a purpose. And the purpose of the law is to bring us to Christ. I know where I am. I'm in Oxford, Georgia. I'm not preaching in Sudan or Somalia or a place like that. I'm, I'm guessing that probably in somewhere in your life on this Mother's Day, you either had a mother or a mother figure or a Sunday school teacher who was a lady, somebody, read you in some time a Bible story from the Old Testament. I can remember my mother reading me every night going to bed. She would break out the, uh, what was that book, Mama? You remember? I don't remember either. She would take this book and she would read it to me, talking about all these stories of the Old Testament. 
Matter of fact, when I started preaching when I was 15 years old, my first message that I remember was Samson. Hey, why wouldn't a boy preach Samson, right? Gosh, this guy takes a jawbone of a donkey and slaughters people. That sounds fun to me. But listen carefully to me. The law, the Old Testament, has a purpose. And the purpose of the law is to bring us to Christ. And I wonder this morning, be honest, be honest with yourself. Is this the way that you view Scripture? Do you this morning view Scripture as promise? The whole Bible, from cover to cover, is gospel. Let me say that again, because I'm not sure if you were listening. The whole Bible, from cover to cover, is gospel. It's gospel. Good news in the midst of evil. Promise in the midst of disappointment and brokenness. Pardon for the guilty. Hope in the midst of hopelessness. Light breaking through. The whole Bible. Now, Christ is the fulfillment of the law. But not only is Christ the fulfillment of the law, number two this morning, Christ displays the intention of the law. Christ not only fulfills the law, He shows us what the law is all about. In the ministry of Jesus, one day He was asked. We'll see it when He's asked as we go through Matthew. But one day Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Now, that's what we all want to know, right? Now, it's that one thing that if we make sure that we cover that one base, we're going to have it. That's like the magic formula. We all want that. We, when we're in school, if you can remember, we go to the teacher, you say, teacher, what do I have to, some of you, what do I have to make to pass the class? I've had classes like that, right? What's the bare minimum? Because I know I can't do anything else. What's the bare minimum to get there? What did Christ say? Do you remember? What is the greatest commandment? Do you remember what He said? Listen to what He said. He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And then He said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what did Jesus say? What's the fulfillment of the law? Don't miss this. This is, this is profound. This is fascinating. He said, love. In this singular response, Christ strikes at the cord of what the law was all about. Love. What? We oftentimes think in terms of we take the law and we think love and it's either law or it's love. But what does Jesus say? What's the purpose of the law? Love. Listen carefully to me. God has never been about us keeping a rule. Now some of you are very comfortable with this form of religion. Rule keeping. You come to church whenever you feel just enough to make you feel good about yourself. You read your Bible just enough because you've heard that proverb a day keeps the devil away, whatever the case may be, you've heard that. And so you read it just so you'll have a good day or you read it every day and you read it this long a day so it's just a checklist. Or you, you give this amount of time to the church or this amount of money to the church. We really prefer rule keeping. It's our nature to really prefer rule keeping. Most of us prefer things that are cut and dry instead of God giving us one law to rule them all. And some of you, I know, some of you are still trapped in this system of loving and listing your own accomplishments. Some of you are there. You think that if you behave this way or that way that God will accept you. But God demands more than that. The law of God, Christ, demands more than just day by day. He demands moment by moment. 
You see, Christ has come not to stand beside us. He has come to be our Lord. Christ has come not to fix sides. Christ has come to take over. The demands of Christ are all-encompassing. As one of the hymn writers, he put it well. He said this, Were the whole realm of nature mine. Now think about what he just said. If I had everything in the world, were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be a present far too small. This love that's so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life. What's that last word? My all. You see, listen, God is not after us keeping rules. God is after all of you. His desire, again, by because of who He is, He is God. His desire is to be the desire of your affections. His desire is to be the desire of your heart. You know what the problem with simply keeping a rule book or checking off some list? You know what the problem with that is? If we do that, then you know what we tend to cherish? We tend to cherish our own accomplishments. You see the danger there? If we can achieve righteousness, then we become the object of our own affections. But, if righteousness is something that we desire and something that is given to us, that is external from us, and not on account of any good that we do, if it's given to us, then you know what we do? We cherish the One who gives us righteousness. Which is what God wants. He wants to be the object of your affection. And this is the reason that we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You see, Amazing Grace is not a sweet sound unless you see yourself as a wretch. That's incapable of saving yourself. And then it says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. But it was blind, but now I see. That's why we can sing Amazing Grace. Because grace has come to us. Not because of anything that we could do, but just because in some strange way, and I hope that you count it strange, I sure do, God chose to love you. Even while you were a sinner, God chose to love you. So much so that He decided before the foundation of the world in some mysterious way to save you. To save me. And so this is the reason here that we understand that God doesn't want part of your life. He doesn't want that simple part of your life that likes to keep rules. He wants all of you. He wants you to say to Him, Here is my heart, Lord. All of it. Everything that I am to everything that you are. Have the works of my hands, the meditations of my heart, all of my desires. Here I am, Lord. All of me. Take me all, because all that I can give to you is nowhere near what you desire and demand. So this is all I have, Lord, all of me. And it's not even enough, but it's all I have, so I give it all to you. You see, the intention of the law is to bind our hearts to do God's will. Oftentimes, I think people view the law in the negative, that it's something negative, but the intent of the law, as Romans 5 says, is to lead us to Christ. The law is not here to oppress us. The law is here to show us the path of life. The law is here to have our hearts enjoy the presence of God. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The law is there to tell us the way of life so that we will find 
what it means to have fullness of joy. Not, and listen, fullness of joy is not in rule keeping. Fullness of joy is in enjoying Christ. This is why John says that the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome because we who know the intent of the law and the life that it leads to is to know Christ. And we then know what living is all about. It's about having the pleasure of God and enjoying His pleasures forever. Having the joy of God and enjoying the pleasures of God forever. That's what it's about. That's what it's all about. That's why Jesus is so loving. That's why you're so attracted to Jesus. That's why you see Jesus as a rebel rouser. Some of you do. Because Jesus is so attractive. He's the fullness of God. And He has come to call us into His fullness. That's what it's all about. A bunch of Presbyterians, they said it like this. Your chief end, what your life is all about, is so that you will know God and enjoy Him forever. Don't miss that. Enjoy Him forever. How many of you today are enjoying Christ? How many of you today can honestly say that you are enjoying Christ? It's not some rule to keep. It's a Lord to love. What are we saying? We're saying that the intent of the law is so that we may know God, not so that we can keep some code or check off some list. The purpose of the law is that we may know God. And this is why the Bible is going to say in Romans, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Did you hear that? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. It's the terminus. He is the final destination. It's all about Him. He's the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. God intends for us to know Him. God intends for us to love Him. God intends for us to walk with Him. What matters is not have I kept some law, but am I loving God? Now listen, listen, listen. If you love Him, you will obey Him. But you don't obey Him to love Him. You love Him to obey Him. The law is not the end. The law is a way to the end. And the end of the law is Christ, who is the Supreme One who brings us into eternal fellowship with God. You see the high standards that God has raised? Now this is at one time, at the same time, liberating. Hopefully you feel this way. You have this strain you feel that, there, yes, this is liberating, but at the same time, this is constraining. You see this high demand? You see it? You see the t- do, you, do you feel the tension? How on earth can I achieve what it is that God demands? How can I achieve it? And honestly, this morning, listen, you can't. That's why He came. This is the whole reason of His coming. If you could achieve it, then He wouldn't have had to come. But there's one final point that we have to make from this passage. A point that reminds us of what it is, the ministry of Christ, and what He is accomplishing and has accomplished through His coming. Number three this morning, and hopefully you've written these down. Number three, Christ is the one who causes us to obey the law. Look at this. See, look, where are we in that equation? We are the subjects of Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Christ is the one who shows us what the law is all about. Christ causes me to obey the law. If we were to say in parentheses or tab over and put this underneath every one of the points, I am in Christ. It's all about Christ. Grace 
grace. You will never hear another message from this pulpit why as long as I'm here by the grace of God other than grace. I don't want to turn your affections towards yourself. I want to leave you in the hands of an almighty God who leaves you incapable of accomplishing anything apart from Him. It's always and forever about Christ. Your object of your affection is not your own good job, pat yourself on the back. The object of everything that you are has to be Jesus. Always Jesus. So what's the Sermon on the Mount then? Why is he saying this? You know, listen carefully to me. It's not some new ethic. He's not giving us some new thing. It's not some new laws. That's not what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's not some new laws. You know what the Sermon on the Mount is? It is here to show us what God requires of us as well as the way in which we keep what it is that God requires of us. The provision to do His will is from the One who audaciously says, but I say to you. The way that we can do what He says is because He is the One who says it. And He is the One who enables us to hope in Him. Our hope is in the One who says, but I say to you. Never forget who the I is that is saying this. This is not just some teacher. This is not just some prophet. The one who's saying, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, is the eternal Son of God who became flesh to present to us the truth of God. And He came with a message. And you know what His message was? He came with a message and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The former things are passing away and the new is breaking through. Jesus changes everything. And when He came, He said, it's always and forever going to be about Me. Remember the angels that day as Jesus was born? They had a message that lit up the sky. And that message is the message that we proclaim. Glory to God in the highest. Now we can say glory to God because salvation is now come near to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus has come to bring a new kingdom. He has come to bring a new dawn to the darkness of our days. He has come to transform darkness into light. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And through His life, He is enabling us to live His life. And the way that He does it is by providing new life for us through His life and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is who He is. He accomplishes this new life for us. And how does He do it? This is the glory of the Gospel. He accomplishes this new life for us by taking our old life upon Himself. Dying for your sin and my sin. Dying for our sin, not sins of His own. And then raising our old self to His newness of life. It's always about Him. This is why we have behind the screen here a cross. It's about Him. The centerpiece of this church is Christ. Because the centerpiece of the world is Christ. He will sum up all things in Himself. There is one name under heaven by which men must be saved. There is one name to which people will proclaim Him as Lord. Every knee, every tongue from every tribe and every people will bow down to Jesus and call Him Lord. It's all about Jesus. And He has come to give us new life. Not some rule to keep. Not some new ethic. But He has come to give us the freedom to live. To live. Listen, this is why sinning is so bad for us. Because it's not life. Do you understand that? 
The reason that sin is so terrible is because it's not life. It's like choosing to try to breathe underwater. Forget it. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has transferred us from one kingdom to the other and is transferring us. This is why sinning is not life. It's like running a marathon and trying to hold your breath for the next two minutes. Forget it. It's not what life is about. Christ has come to enable us to live. Listen. This is another subject for another day. Christ shows us what it means to be truly human. Christ shows us what it means to truly be what God desires for us to be. And then here's the bottom line. You and I, if we trust in Him, we are in Him. So He's come to give us life. And so you say, well, how on earth does He come to give us life? And this is the mystery of the Gospel. This is what it's all about. And I hope you're listening this morning. This is what it's all about. How does He do those things? It's a five-letter word. It starts with an F. has a T-H on the end. Faith. Faith. Well, what kind of faith? Faith in yourself? In your accomplishments? No, no. Faith in the finished work of the Son. Faith in the finished work of the Son. Not faith in our own attempts to achieve what has already been accomplished, but faith in His finished work for us. I don't know about you, but that sounds like good news. Jesus has come to rescue you. Jesus has come to save you. Not so that you can pull yourself up. He's come reaching His hand of salvation to you so that He could pull you up. Lloyd-Jones said it best, the one thing that we have to avoid above everything else in our Christian lives is this fatal tendency to live the Christian life apart from a direct, living, and true relationship to God. Think about this. If you didn't need Him, He wouldn't have come. But the fact of the matter is, we stand this side of Calvary. We stand this side of the empty grave. We stand this side with our hands looked to the east, ready for Jesus to come. The fact is, is that He has come. Now, everything that we do, don't miss this, everything that we do must be guided by our affections for Him. And if He's not the center of your affections, then who is? If He's not the center of the affections, What in the world is the center of your affections? Listen to this gospel preacher this morning. If he is not the center of your affections, if he is not the center of our affections, then we have missed the very purpose for life. Don't miss the greatest thing that you could ever imagine. And what is that? It's a loving, personal relationship with God. The ministry of Jesus. Remember who He is. He's the eternal Son of God who became flesh for our sins according to the Scriptures. This is the Jesus. The ministry of Jesus is so that you will know God. The ministry of Jesus is for you to know God. Do you know God truly? Do you know Him? Are you loving Him more today than you did yesterday? And are you looking forward to loving Him more tomorrow than you did today? Hear His words. Listen to His words. Hear Him through His Word, drawing you close to Himself. Let's pray together. Father, we love You.
We are grateful for the ministry of Jesus who has come to us in our darkness so that He could, Lord, give us light. So that He would give us love. Father, don't let us miss Jesus. Father, I pray for everyone here that Christ would truly be the centerpiece of our affections. If Lord, if there's one who's here who says that Jesus is not the centerpiece of my affections, may they, Lord, call out to You. Trust in You. May they confess their love for You. And Lord God, thank You, Lord, if they'll do that, then You said that You would save them. If they would just trust in Jesus, have faith they don't have to understand everything, but just have faith in what He's done. And Lord, You'll save them. And I pray even now that You have saved some. Help us, O oh God, to be ever mindful, to be ever hopeful, to be ever grateful with love for the ministry of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.